My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Frames Cast and this is going to be a look back at my film and television year of 2022. I don't like to do these episodes kind of the first week in January or the last week in December of the previous year because I always like to kind of go back and um, catch up with stuff that I might have missed or revisit things to kind of get a better idea in my head about how much I like a given uh, film or TV series. So I've compiled a few top 10 lists this year and there'll be my top 10 films, my top 10 first time watches, my top 10 home video picks and my top 10 TV uh, picks. And I'm going to start with my first, with with my top 10 uh, first time watch list. Now, just to clarify as well, these are kind of in any order um, in particular until you get to the first one, which is definitely my top pick of the year. So first time watches then was the 1992 film, Dien Bien Phu, um, directed by Pierre Schroeder. And this was a French-Vietnamese war film about the infamous battle that took place in the 1954. And although I'd heard of this film, it is really hard to get hold of um, on home media. To my knowledge, I don't think there is a DVD or Blu-ray that has come out in Region 2. I managed to um, download it from a, um, uh, well, I won't say where I downloaded it from, but a a Blu-ray rip that had French subtitles added to it. And I'm not sure how much of the dialogue I was missing out. But there is a French Blu-ray, but it does not have English subtitles. And that's put by Studio Canal. This film was ridiculously impressive the sheer scale of it um is is off the charts and it was filmed in all the locations uh, that the actual battle took place it had a relatively large budget about 30 million um dollars and was made in, in was a joint french and vietnamese production the cast and as i understand the vietnamese army was um enlisted to um take part in the production and without any kind of cgi this is all shot for real this film is unbelievable in terms of its visual scale i was completely blown away Uh, we all know that war is hell and certainly this one really does go into the minutiae of the battle um it kind of flip-flops between um the battle and um some scenes in hanoi mainly fronted by um donald pleasant who is a kind of journalist trying to find out what's going on in the battle but um i was completely gripped by this it is times almost unbearably tense to watch and I was just totally captivated by what I was seeing films like this something like the longest day because you don't have um a traditional kind of central character there's various kind of people you see throughout the film sometimes I think people find these films a bit aimless I don't I I I just I think the event itself is more important than having kind of a centralized character um yeah, absolutely incredible film. I don't understand why it's not more celebrated and why it's so hard to get hold of. I really feel like um, this film could benefit from a, a going o- a, a good kind of going over by a, a boutique label, an indicator series, or something like that. Because it doesn't. It's really hard to find any kind of like contemporary reviews of it either. It just seems to have kind of come along and disappeared into the into the night really it's been 19 i don't remember any hype around this film or really hearing anything about it but definitely if there is a dvd on amazon which i believe is a ntsc one i think it was actually made in taiwan i think that does have english subtitles but um i would love to see this film getting a better release 
uh, than it has because I think it's... Um... So next up was a film I'd heard about for years and I'd seen stills from uh, many a time. And for some reason, it just always seemed to be a little just too weird for me to really kind of gravitate towards but then a brilliant blu-ray box set came out of it and the film i'm talking about is 1968 film by frank perry um called the swimmer starring burt lancaster now i pretty much clocked what was going on almost immediately i could tell where the, f- the film was going to be headed but didn't detract from the fact that i, f- I, f- I found this film completely captivating um it's unlike anything I've seen in a very, very long time. It's a quite uncomfortable film at times. I think it it teeters on being a little bit on the nose in the points it's making about wasp culture in the 1960s. But Burt Lancaster is so captivating in this film, going from being super confident to this kind of absolute broken wreck in such a believable way that, again, even though I knew where the film was heading, I think it kind of broadcasts um, its direction quite early on. But but Burt Lancaster is so compelling in this film, such a flawed uh, human being, someone who you can easily imagine has um, enjoyed everything about life and being a successful businessman, a sex symbol, kind of getting what he wants all the time. And then this kind of slow unravelling of his life unfolding in front of you in such a kind of surrealist interesting way and the box set that was put out um, I think it's by Indicator or Arrow I can't remember which one but um, yeah absolutely brilliant one of my definitely one of my uh, it didn't make my um, home video releases because I was going to cheat and kind of talk about it here but it was definitely well worth picking up I think you can get it for like 18 quid on Amazon so that was The Swimmer next up was a film I spoke about on the episode that's Bertrand Tavernier's L627 a Parisian cop drama from the 90s. I'm not really going to kind of talk overly more about that because there is an entire episode on it. Um, up next was John Sledge's Billy Liar. Uh, I, I absolutely adored this film. I thought it was kind of hilarious and strangely touching in equal measure. Um, the fact as well that it was it's so interesting to me seeing... Uh, believe it was Bradford where the film was shot and it felt like a real kind of time capsule and a glimpse into another world gorgeously shot as well by Dennis Coop um, in a cinemascope format it's amazing how it was amazing to me how cinematic the film felt I thought it was absolutely hilarious thoroughly enjoyed it and the blu-ray that was put out by Studio Canal some years ago looked absolutely gorgeous next up was uh, in the realm of the senses for so long I just thought this film was basically just porn and um, I finally got around to watching the uh, the Criterion Blu-ray that came out about it and it was so much more than that I thought it was really really interesting quite shocking as well I mean how on earth well, I can imagine, imagine the, the reaction to the film amongst contemporary audiences but uh, again I was um, wincing as well at certain points in it if you've seen the film you'll probably know what parts I'm talking about next up was John Stahl's film Leave Her to Heaven this was a 1945 um, psychological thriller um, just as a quick caveat here Criterion have put out a brilliant Blu-ray of this film um, it was the most successful film um, of the year in 1945 it took in a staggering for then amount of 8.2 million dollars and follows the life of Elton Harland played by Gene Turney who is 
bar none, one of the most evil characters I have ever seen in a film, and deliciously slow. You know, the the film is a Technicolor gem, um, filmed in a place. Some of it was filmed in a place called Sedona in Arizona, which is a place I really, really want to go. But I was absolutely just gripped by this film. Uh, the recommendation came to me from listening to Brett Easton Ellis's podcast, and. Uh, if you can get hold of the Criterion Blu-ray, um, I'm not sure it's out on the UK um, offshoot of Criterion, but definitely if you live in America, pick this one up. It is an absolute gem of the film. A real, uh, it's well, it's a noir film, but I think it probably comes into the category of being a neo-noir. I absolutely loved it. And my girlfriend, who doesn't really, has, has that much interest in older films, watched it, and she too kind of colluded, um, agreed with me, sorry, that it was quite brilliant. It reminded her, and uh, with some justification of the Ben Affleck film, Gone Girl. So definitely uh, check out Leave Her to Heaven. Next was a film that caused my stress levels to go through the roof. And that was uh, Mikolos Jansko's the Roundup from 1966. Uh, this film is, it kind of reminded me of Uncut Gems, um, the recent uh, Netflix film. The film essentially uh, revolves around a character called Janos who has to expose members of a guerrilla group in a prison camp, otherwise he will face execution if he cannot. Um, the film set in the 1848 uh, Hagsburg rule during Hungary. And it is so intense and claustrophobic and legitimately terrifying piece of filmmaking. Um, some gorgeous uh, long takes, beautiful widescreen imagery. I understand, I think Quentin Tarantino has said this film has been a massive influence on him. And you can certainly see why. Uh, Bella Tarr actually put it on his 10 greatest films list when he submitted it to Sight and Sound in 2012. And... I honestly feel like if I could go back to this film and watch it again, I think it might be finding its way onto one of my into my kind of definitely my top twenty. Um, I watched it twice um, in the space of two days. I actually imported as well. Kino Lorber put out a box set um, of films um, with this in it, and I actually picked that up, and it looks absolutely beautiful. They've done a magnificent 4K restoration of this film from the 35mm to negative. So that was the roundup. I can see this film coming out on something like Second Sight um, or Second Run, whoever I think it is, in the UK. I do believe it will get a Blu-ray release sometime soon. After that as well was the BBC's adaption of 1984, starring Peter Cushing. I went back to 1984. I've read the book before and I listened to the brilliant audiobook that's actually on Audible. And I went back and watched this. Um, and I got hold of this and watched it. And I really feel, I mean, it's, it, it's very, I, I think it's slightly more... Um, faithful to the book than the film was but bo both of them i think are absolutely excellent but i was completely blown away by this it really um it's such an unnerving piece of filmmaking it's such a it's such a brilliant book i actually do think it might be my favorite novel now of all time so it, it um, unfortunately 1984 is quoted so much by people you know to kind of talk about the uh, oppression that we live under today apparently and I think kind of perhaps its impact has been watered down by this but I certainly thought this adaption was absolutely brilliant uh, it's a tv drama and there's a lots of it's kind of filmed 
um, live in a studio with other kind of pre-recorded moments. But I, I thought it blended well together brilliantly. Again, a lovely little um, cameo as well there from Donald Pleasance, who I think always elevates anything he's in. And a brilliant Blu-ray as well that was put out by the BBC. Now, this one broke my heart because I have been living in a state of kind of hope that one day in a vault film vault far, far away in Brazil or somewhere like that, um, those original camera negatives of the Magnificent Ambersons would be found. And I have my Criterion Blu-ray up on the shelf, which I have owned and I have never, ever got it out to watch because I thought one day, surely they will find this film and everything will be sorted. And of course they haven't. And I cracked and I decided to watch The Magnificent Ambersons. And even in its truncated form that we get, I thought this film was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. Um, It's certainly uh, one of my favourite Orson Welles films. I don't know how much better it could obviously be. I need to get hold of the screenplay, I think, and kind of watch it and compare and have a read and see what's what's missing out. And kind of I, I can perhaps kind of put to put the film together in my head um i still hold up hope that one day we are going to find out that this film has been found and we can all enjoy how it was meant to be seen but for the time being i'm more than happy with what i've got and my number one first time watch um i am ashamed to say this film i am disgusted with myself that i have only just got around to watching this and to be clear i have owned this film on dvd blu-ray and now uhd and I have never, ever got round to watching it. I don't know why. It is absolutely inexcusable of me to have done this. And that film was Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. And yes, I know, I'm disgusted. I am, I'm appalled with myself that it's taken me this long. In my defence, I will say that my virgin screening of The Red Shoes was the Criterion UHD. And good Lord, I think it's the best looking home release of anything I have ever seen just absolutely gorgeous I don't care how you get hold of it or even even if you can't watch it because it's region locked buy it anyway just so it's in your house this film was incredible and I I I was transfixed by it it is so good and I don't I'm so annoyed that I haven't watched it before yet delighted I have got finally around to watching it possibly a contender to break the top 10 were I asked if I'm asked in 10 years to do a sight and sound poll which I can't imagine why I wouldn't be in fact I think the poll should just be me and I know that sounds a bit big-headed and it, it be egotistical but I don't know anyway yeah the red shoes um shame on me but also well you got you can't you can't have watched them all surely even though I should have watched that I, I can't believe as well that I've watched the Last Jedi twice and the Red Shoes only once. That does need amending urgently. But yes, don't judge me. Okay, and now on to my home video picks. So at number 10, finally, the big country, the William Wyler Western, got the a much needed uh, Blu-ray re-release. Um, the original pressing of this, um, the... It was it was framed wrongly. It was slightly uh, overly squeezed or compressed, and um, a corrected version, or I think a version by Kino, might have come out um, in America that had the correct aspect ratio. And now this has come out in the UK, and um, it looks fantastic. The film was an absolute joy, and um, just absolutely beautiful. Really, a, a kind of even 
on on the small screen it still feels like very much a big screen experience so that was the big country next up um the mad max saga had a release on new hd originally there was an audio issue with the first pressing i believe it was something to do with the original mono soundtracks this was suddenly subsequently uh, corrected all four films were put out on new hd and um, as a massive fan of that saga, I picked it up. Um, I can confirm all the films looked amazing. Um, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome have been given Dolby Atmos upgrades to the soundtrack. Um, all look brilliant. Again, I'm st- Mad Max Fury Road was a weird one. I was slightly lukewarm on it for at the cinema. Um, got to really like it. And I'm kind of back to being lukewarm a little bit on it now at the moment. I don't know what's really going on with that one. But you can pick this up um, if you haven't got the... Um, even if you haven't got the D, the Blu-ray set yet, I can recommend picking this up because I got mine from Amazon for 27 quid over the Christmas period. Next up was for a few dollars more. This was put out on um, Kino and it was a 4K uh, release. Not UHD, just a 4K upgrade. And the Dollar Trilogy have had a very... I suppose there doesn't seem to be a definitive version of those films on home media yet. They either get the colour timing wrong or they try and... Um, they're framed slightly wrong. I don't know what it is. They just cannot seem to get it right. But for a few dollars more, it did look fantastic. And I have got um, the other Kino uh, releases in the Dollars trilogy. And even the Good, the Bad and the Ugly, which still had that awful um, colour grading from the last Blu-ray release, did look a lot better. But this is definitely uh, the best presentation of a few dollars more. And I hope they can go back and get the other two right and get as good looking as this one. Um, the next one was a Warner Archives release, and that was Gold Diggers of 1933. Uh, an amazing film. Actually, it made me laugh out loud quite a lot. Reminded me, in a way, of something like Sex in the City, I suppose. But um, another great release from Warner Archive. They really are, a, I think, an underrated Uh, label. Um, I'm pleased as well to announce that you will be able to now pick up Warner Archive uh, titles in the UK. They will begin shipping, I think, in February. There's four titles so far, and I really do hope this one uh, makes it to that. I actually picked mine up off eBay. Uh, Next up was the Studio Canal box set of Bertrand Tavernier. I've spoken about um, L627. This was another companion box set. It's 50 quid, nine discs. There's a variety of films in there. Really excellent box set. All the prints look great, and you get yeah, a fantastic deal. I think at the moment I've seen it for forty nine ninety nine on Amazon. Number five was a film which I'm very very unsure about it. Uh, this UHD was so incredible to look at. It kind of made up for the issues that I have with the film, and that is the Criterion UHD of Brian De Palma's Blowout. Um, it just looks unbelievable. I, it actually felt like I have. I was watching a film on film. Now, to, to explain my sort of home cinema setup, I've got a OLED TV in the downstairs, which is where I watch my UHD stuff, and I've got a projector up in the film room, which is only 1080p. And you can put UHD contact through the 1080p projector, but it can be very hit or miss as to how the footage is downgraded from UHD to 1080p. Sometimes it can look absolutely terrible. Other times in the examples of things like Blade Runner, it looks completely fine. Um, But I decided to watch this on the OLED downstairs and my God, it was incredible. I'm still not sure about the film though. I will fully admit it's a technical tour de force, but I thought the story and have always found the story slightly ridiculous. Next up was Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Whatever you think of the film itself, I personally loved it. This is the go-to demo disc if you want to 
if you just bought a new system that's got Dolby Atmos or you just want to kind of impress your mates with something, this is the one you put on. It sounds absolutely incredible. I'm surprised the the bass alone doesn't cause earthquakes every time people put it through their subwoofers. Uh, it looks fantastic as well. Both the Blu-ray and the UHD look great. The Dolby Vision encoding on the UHD, however, I think really added another layer to it. Next up was the Godfather Saga. Of course, the Godfather films were going to get a release on UHD at some stage. And what they've actually done, Paramount has done, um, they put out a remastered version of the Blu-ray and the UHDs. UHDs look brilliant. There's no sound upgrade. It doesn't need it either, to be honest with you. You have got the original mono soundtrack on those, which I did enjoy. I wouldn't recommend, however, picking up the... Uh, UHD box set on its own which is 60 quid you can now buy the films individually and they do come with a remastered blu-ray so even if you wanted both which I don't know if some people do I personally prefer it when they include a remastered blu-ray in with the UHD so that's what I've done at number two was Kino's 4k release of the apartment again this film just looked amazing there was a Arrow Academy put out a remastered version of it a few years ago and this is the 4k uh restoration that they used on that but presented in 4k and that film has never looked so good it was absolutely beautiful um just really added another layer to the film and i am so pleased that this film found its way back into the sight and sound uh poll because i think it is probably one of the best romantic comedies ever made but at number one my home release of the year has got to go to the bfi's release of get carter um just how they made such a beautiful film look so... Uh, sorry, how they made such a grim-looking film look so beautiful is beyond me. This is an absolute showcase for the format. And looking over the picks that I've made, most of the UHDs I've gone for are um, UHD upgrades to older films, which do, I think, tend to benefit more from the process. But um, the Get Carter box set is an absolute joy. Um, I didn't, I'm kicking myself for not going to the cinema to watch it. I don't know why I didn't when it was re-released. Um, absolute shame on me for not doing that. But that, those were my home video picks of the year. Okay, and now on to my home video picks. So at number 10, finally, The Big Country, the William Wyler Western got the a much needed uh, blu-ray re-release um the original pressing of this um the it was it was framed wrongly it was slightly uh, overly squeezed or compressed and um a corrected version or i think a version by kino might have come out um in america that had the correct aspect ratio and now this has come out in the uk and um it looks fantastic the film was an absolute joy um, just absolutely beautiful really a, a kind of even on on the small screen it still feels like very much a big screen experience so that was the big country next up um the mad max saga had a release on new hd originally there was an audio issue with the first pressing i believe it was something to do with the original mono soundtracks this was suddenly subsequently uh, corrected all four films were put out on new hd and um, as a massive fan of that saga, I picked it up. Um, I can confirm all the films looked amazing. Um, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome have been given Dolby Atmos upgrades to the soundtrack. Um, all look brilliant. Again, I'm st Mad Max Fury Road was 
a weird one. I was slightly lukewarm on it for at the cinema. Um, got to really like it, and I'm kind of back to being lukewarm a little bit on it now at the moment. I don't know what's really going on with that one, but you can pick this up um, if you haven't got the um, even if you haven't got the D, the Blu-ray set yet. I can recommend picking this up because I got mine from Amazon for 27 quid over the Christmas period. Next up was for a few dollars more. This was put out on um, Kino, and it was a 4K. Uh, released not UHD just a 4k upgrade and the Dollar Trilogy have had a very I suppose there doesn't seem to be a definitive version of those films on home media yet they either get the colour timing wrong or they try and um they're framed slightly wrong I don't know what it is they just cannot seem to get it right but for a few dollars more did look fantastic and I have got um the other Kino uh, releases in the Dollar Trilogy and even the Good the Bad and the Ugly which Still had that awful um, colour grading from the last Blu-ray release. Did look a lot better. But this is definitely uh, the best presentation of a few dollars more. And I hope they can go back and get the other two right and get as good looking as this one. Um, the next one was a Warner Archives release. And that was Gold Diggers of 1933. Uh, an amazing film. Absolutely made me laugh out loud quite a lot. Reminded me in a way of something like Sex in the City, I suppose. But um, another great release from Warner Archives. They really are, a, I think, an underrated uh, label. Um, I'm pleased as well to announce that you will be able to now pick up Warner Archive uh, titles in the UK. They will begin shipping, I think, in February. There's four titles so far, and I really do hope this one uh, makes it to that. I actually picked mine up off eBay. Uh, next up was the Studio Canal box set of Bertrand Tavernier. I've spoken about um, L627. This was another companion box set. It's 50 quid, nine discs. There's a variety of films in there. Really excellent box set. All the prints look great, and you get yeah, a fantastic deal. I think at the moment I've seen it for forty nine ninety nine on Amazon. Number five was a film which I'm very, very unsure about it. Uh, this UHD was so incredible to look at. It kind of made up for the issues that I have with the film. And that is the Criterion UHD of Brian De Palma's Blowout. Um, it just looks unbelievable. I, it actually felt like I have... I was watching a film on film. Now, to, to explain my sort of home cinema setup, I've got a OLED TV in the downstairs, which is where I watch my UHD stuff, and I've got a projector up in the film room, which is only 1080p. And you can put UHD contact through the 1080p projector, but it can be very hit or miss as to how the footage is downgraded from UHD to 1080p. Sometimes it can look absolutely terrible. Other times in the examples of things like Blade Runner, it looks completely fine. Um, but I decided to watch this on the OLED downstairs and my God, it was incredible. I'm still not sure about the film though. I will fully admit it's a technical tour de force, but I thought the story and have always found the story slightly ridiculous. Next up was Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Whatever you think of the film itself, I personally loved it. This is the go-to demo disc if you want to... If you just bought a new system that's got Dolby Atmos or you just want to kind of impress your mates with something, this is the one you put on. It sounds absolutely incredible. I'm surprised that the bass alone doesn't cause earthquakes every time people put it through their subwoofers. Uh, it looks fantastic as well. Both the Blu-ray and the UHD look great. The Dolby Vision encoding on the UHD, however, I think really added another layer to it. Next up was the Godfather Saga. Of course, the Godfather films were going to get a release on UHD at some stage. And what they've actually done, Paramount has done, um, they put out a 
remastered version of the Blu-ray and the UHDs. UHDs look brilliant. There's no sound upgrade. It doesn't need it either, to be honest with you. You have got the original mono soundtrack on those, which I did enjoy. I wouldn't recommend, however, picking up the uh, UHD box set on its own, which is 60 quid. You can now buy the films individually, and they do come with the remastered Blu-ray. So even if you wanted both, which I don't know if some people do, I personally prefer it when they include a remastered Blu-ray with the UHD. So that's what I've done. At number two was Kino's 4K release of The Apartment. Again, this film just looks amazing. There was a Arrow Academy put out a remastered version of it a few years ago, and this is the 4K uh, restoration that they used on that, but presented in 4K, and that film has never looked so good. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, just really added another layer to the film, and I am so pleased that this film found its way back into the sight and sound uh, poll, because I think it is probably one of the best romantic comedies ever made. But at number one, my home release of the year has got to go to the BFI's release of Get Carter um just how they made such a beautiful film look so uh, sorry how they made such a grim looking film look so beautiful is beyond me this is an absolute showcase for the format and looking over the picks that I've made most of the UHDs I've gone for are um, UHD upgrades to older films which do I think tend to benefit more from the process but um, the Get Carter box set is an absolute joy um, I didn't I'm kicking myself for not going to the cinema to watch it I don't know why I didn't when it was re-released um, absolute shame on me for not doing that but that those were my home video picks of the year so next up then would be my favorite tv series from 2022 and I'm going to start with one which might be a slightly controversial choice. It certainly became, I believe, the TV series to bash over the year. And that was the long-awaited The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power from Amazon. Um, I personally loved it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was ridiculously epic. The amount of money that had gone on it was just so impressive um i loved the characters i was completely gripped by it um i had a great time um i think the a lot of the kind of the snark that has been directed it has been way over the top i think there is a kind of pearl clutching going on because it's amazon and i think people kind of see amazon as being the enemy i think there's a case here that they have um i think we need to separate the corporation from the art would be my um suggestion on that i know some of the reviews some of the negative reviews i read of it seems to be kind of really kind of hammering the part home about how terrible it was and there was of course the ridiculous uh people moaning about the um the casting and it was too politically correct and don't get me wrong it had issues i hope the kind of stuff with the um or the hobbits that obviously they're going to be they were kind of annoying um just every single cliched irish stereotype going on there but on the whole it I, I really enjoyed it and um, it, it looked and sounded amazing. So, um, yeah, roll on season two. Number nine was the Ken Burns series on uh, Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers. Again, you know, um, Burns has been here with these types of characters in American history. I thought this was another excellent character. I didn't really know that whole much about Benjamin Franklin. And I quite enjoyed the fact that um, he was tackling a subject who, in Ken, Burn, in Ken Burns' style, this is by someone who was no means um, perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly thought this was a very fair 
um, balanced and interesting look at such a great person. Uh, number eight, Better Call Saul. Season six, eventually it would come to an end. Um, at first, I didn't know how I felt about the end. And I I still think Kim's storyline, where she kind of went off to Florida, and I, I felt that could have, was a bit clunky in how it was handled. I don't know why she would suddenly become attracted to or be in a relationship with a complete dork that she appears to be in. But I don't know. Perhaps it's, it's part of the kind of deception of living a, a slightly more quiet life. But I feel like the characters got the ending that they deserved. I liked Saul Goodman. Um, of course, you want him to get away with it. But then again, he deserves everything he gets is coming his way. His behaviour is absolutely despicable. And I think perhaps it was a case of a TV series that um, wasn't going to give you perhaps the romantic uh, ending that you would have want, which would have been completely unjustified and may have left a slightly sour taste in the mouth but overall I thought Better Call Saul has been a brilliant series one way or another um I do actually think it's superior to Breaking Bad it, I, I've, I'd be more inclined to go and watch it again anytime soon than I would Breaking Bad which is not to say I didn't enjoy Breaking Bad because I most certainly did um number seven as well we went back into the world of Westeros with the prequel series The House of Dragons this was everything I liked about Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones became a little bit crap which which it certainly did in that last season. Um, I was completely gripped by it. Paddy Constantine, I thought was amazing. Um, and Matt Smith as well, I really enjoyed. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Matt Smith, actually. Yeah, I tend to, whatever he's in, I tend to like, especially when it's on the television. And uh, yeah, House of Dragon, I cannot wait for season two. Number six was a series I uh, watched actually at the beginning of last year, which was The Tourist, starring Jamie Dorn. Of course, it's one of the most cliched, uh, narrative devices of all time which is the amnesia storyline but this was such good fun um, it reminded me kind of a little bit of the Max Payne uh, computer game series actually but um, it looked amazing Australia looked great I thought all the characters were really funny really well written and well directed so definitely check that I still think it's on iPlayer uh, number five David Simon went back to Baltimore with We Own This City um, a mini series about police corruption um, just it's it's really weird with Dave Simon series because they could all they all obviously take place in the same world. You can you can imagine, although this is based on a true story. Um, I think the kind of the, the world he has created, especially with like the Wire and the Corner and all that type of stuff. Um, this just seems like a natural extension of the rottenness that you see in those series. Um, it's on HBO. I think it's on Sky Atlantic. I it might still be on catch up on that. Number four was a BBC series called Sherwood about a series of murders that take place in Nottingham and about a community coming to terms with the minor strike and the 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 fallout of that from the 1980s i thought it was absolutely brilliant a slightly unnecessary storyline mars things um in the first two or three episodes but i think it really found its feet and I, it was I, I again i'm I've, i don't really watch that many tv series that are on bbc and itv and i really need to kind of get over that because for some reason i've got it in my head um that they're a bit crap when they're quite clearly not the next one was a real oddity and this was on Sky and it's also on HBO and this is a series called The Rehearsal which is a kind of documentary comedy series um, created by someone called Nathan Fielder in which it starts off and you think it's going in one direction which is this guy basically gets people to confront something that they're trying to put off and then they rehearse the scenario in which this person is going to reveal a secret to someone or tell someone something that they think they're going to be worried about and they rehearse the scenario under which this is done to see how 
every variable can possibly be explored so that when they do make their revelation, um, it goes as smoothly as possible. It's a really interesting series. It's very awkward at times, and it's also very funny. Um, it clearly, and I, I think this would be blatantly obvious to anyone that watches it, um, It's a lot of it is obviously incredibly scripted. I actually laughed a lot during this and it does take a, I am quite a miserable sod so it did take a lot for me to do that but it's definitely well worth checking out number two as well was an apple series which was blackbird um again this was an absolute nail biter for me taron edgerton plays a convicted drug dealer who agrees to go into a maximum security uh, prison to get a confession from a suspected serial killer um, in exchange for a pardon. It is based on a true story. Uh, I was completely gripped. And what's so good about this, only six episodes, but you feel like each episode is long enough. It tells its story over that six series, absolutely, six episodes, sorry, absolutely perfectly. Um, there's not an ounce of fat on it. It reminded me of those the early thrill of watching something like 24. Um, but number one was a Disney Plus ep- uh, series, and that was Star Wars in the form of Andor. And this was a... After about two or three episodes, I was like, I'm not entirely sure if I'm down with this. But it slowly, slowly won me over. Diego Luna, he's... he's I, to think that they've managed to create this out of that character is quite incredible. Um, I think it was absolutely uh, amazing what Tony, what the showrunner Tony Gilroy has done on it. But this is the person, obviously, who was you know, responsible for uh, the Bourne films and uh, the excellent Michael Clayton. And it has it, it merges so many different um, strands of. I think there's kind of elements of the spy in there, the political drama, obviously it's science fiction, um, action adventure. They've got so much going on that I absolutely loved it. And I think Star Wars has found its home and that is obviously on the small screen, but that's almost kind of ridiculous because this has been shot in a scope format. The special effects are as good as anything in any film you will see. It is for all intents and purposes. 12 one-hour films and i think you you have to do you you couldn't like even if you go back and watch kind of things like um old episodes of star trek now obviously there is a little bit jarring when you on the next generation and things like that when you see the effects you don't get any of that here it just feels like one continual film and i think star wars if if this is the direction that they're going to hopefully keep traveling in i'm all for it because i would much rather watch 12 hours of this than two hours of The Last Jedi or, or some crap like that because I've tried to watch those that new trilogy again and they, they are just absolutely appalling. I, I, I just, they aren't, history is not going to be kind to those films. I, I really, I, I can really see them becoming um, less and less important. And I think a good indication of that is when the kind of the UHDs of those films come out, you can pick them up for so cheap on Amazon now. No one seems to really give a toss about them. Um, I don't think anyone has any kind of real passion for them, certainly kind of proper Star Wars fans. So that was my favourite TV series of the year. However, the best TV series I watched was another Apple TV series, um, which actually came out the year before. And I only just, I only caught up with it in kind of April, May time, because obviously there is so much to watch now across the various platforms. And that was the Apple series, Foundation, based on the Isaac Asimov series. Again, just... It has all the aesthetics of any big budget cinema you will watch. I was absolutely gripped by it. 
roll on season two. Again, it seemed to be a series that a lot of people had issues with. I can't really see them. I know that I need to watch um, For All Mankind on Apple. I did I did do a couple of episodes. And it really wasn't doing a whole heap for me. But every person I speak to says I've got to stick with it. And I know they're up to series three now. So I'm definitely going to check that out. And if you do have any recommendations as listeners, please do send them my way. Um, there is... There's just so much to watch across all these platforms. It's a good thing. We're we're in kind of the, in the age of kind of over TV indulging, but it does mean things slip through the cracks. So please do let me know if there's anything you feel I should be checking out. Okay, so now then my top 10 films of 2022. These films are in absolutely no order in particular until the number one choice. So at number 10, a film that I did a review on earlier last year, and it was a surprise for me, bearing in how much I despise the original, and that was, of course, Joseph Kaczynski and Tom Cruise teaming up for Top Gun Maverick. Um, One of just a, a really joyous trip to the cinema. My girlfriend and I went We went and saw it on IMAX at the Manchester Printworks. And I think it was just a lovely way of enjoying going to the cinema again. It was on a Friday evening. Cinema was absolutely packed. There was a real buzz um, for the film. And one of those times we go to the cinema and the cinema's completely full and there's no annoying noise. There's no one talking, no one chomping, no one slurping. And everyone just engrossed in the film. It looked incredible on IMAX. Um, I've gone back to it um, once so far. I've I've seen the Blu-ray projected um, upstairs in my film room. I haven't seen the HDR version of the film, which I am readily assured is one of the best um, presentations possibly um, so far on UHD. And that's certainly what a lot of people seem to be saying. Um, It is now on Sky. You can also download an HDR version of that. And it was also part of the um, Paramount Plus um, package which has been a little bit hit and miss for me Paramount Plus because I realised I, I get it free through my Sky Movies um, subscription and um, I was a little bit disappointed when I kind of first went into it because um, the audio was only stereo and that seems to have been updated in the past couple of weeks so I'm definitely going to enjoy going through Paramount Plus um, and having a look at what they have on offer but all that being aside Top Gun Maverick as well and it's such a huge uh, box office release my only thing about this is for the love of God, we don't need another sequel to it. It's fine now. Let's not turn. Let's, I don't want another five Top Gun films. Um, let's just leave it at that. It, it was absolutely fine the way it is, and um, I hope anyway that this doesn't become a kind of Fast and Furious style franchise. But let's be honest: when a film makes as much money as this one has, I should imagine there is a quite a bit of desire on the point of Paramount to have another successful film franchise. Next up was a film which seems to have caused quite a lot of commotion in the film world. People either seem to be giving it blanket five out of five reviews or trashing it for various reasons. I've noticed a lot of the kind of the hipster snark film critic circle, um, the likes of Armand White and co seem to be quite down on it. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was Charlotte Wells' debut after Sun. Now, I do think After Sun has a whiff of the directorial debut about it. However, that all being said, I don't really think that's, you know, everyone's got to start somewhere. And there are a few things about it which perhaps were a little bit on the nose. However, I was completely into this film. I completely bought into the characters. Um, 
Paul Mescal, I think, um, perhaps is a little bit too young to be playing a dad of that age uh, in the film. But both him and um, Frankie Corio, his daughter Sophie, I thought had such a kind of great chemistry between them. And there was obviously, I, I think, a certain nostalgia value attached to this film, and um, which I, has caused a few people to kind of trash it a little bit and that because we we keep hearing i suppose the soundtrack to the mid to late 90s which is certainly an era where i was um transitioning from a um childhood to adulthood and as much as i i I go back to music from that era i'm not someone who's particularly tied to it but i found this film to be um one of those ones where i think i can see myself going back to it repeatedly over the next few years and I think the more I do the more I'm going to really appreciate it I don't think it's perhaps the masterpiece that a lot of people seem to um but I certainly think it's a very very good film and one which I I really annoyed I didn't get to see at the cinema actually it came on Mubi um quite early in January so if you do subscribe to Mubi I'm sure you have seen it on that but definitely um well worth checking out I wouldn't listen to it 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 tends to be one of those films where People seem to be desperate to go on about how much they hate it and other people seem to be kind of desperate to kind of uh, award it this masterpiece status already. And my advice would be don't listen to either of those camps. Just go into it with an open mind and make of it what you will. Uh, next up after that then was a first documentary entry of the year. And this is the most, I suppose this is the most inoffensive film in my top 10 list. And it is a documentary called River, directed by Jennifer Peden, and it's a follow-up to a film she made called Mountain. Um, if you can see a um, through line, and, and I'm sure you can see the, the direction she's heading and with hopefully what I would imagine would be a film series. But all this is really is just earth porn. Um, beautiful, stunning footage of the world's rivers uh, in various continents all over the world. Um, with a narration again from William Defoe, who did the one for Mountain. And I have to say, sometimes the writing is a tad on the nose, um, a little bit obvious, perhaps, and possibly a word I don't like to use that often bordering on the pretentious at times. However, I am a sucker for any kind of Baraka, Quartzley like um travel log film and this one it's only an hour and 15 minutes something like that but i was absolutely captivated by it it was just like i said you don't need to use your brain at all you just need to gawp and look at the beautiful scenery beautiful music as well i was actually quite moved by the end of it um it it did amuse me the the fact that uh, peter bradshaw writing about the film in the guardian um was questioning why that at one stage we see what happens when a dam um, collapses and the river runs through it and he was um, asking why we, we were seeing this scene and what the significance was and it kind of dawned on me that perhaps he hadn't actually watched the, the preceding hour because it explains exactly why that was happening and I always find Peter Bradshaw to be quite an annoying critic I think at times I know if he gives a film five out of five I should normally minus three and I know if he gives a film one out of five I should normally plus three so um, he managed to get it spectacularly wrong when he was looking at this film. Um, again, I can really recommend it. It's a um, another brilliant documentary that's been picked up by Dogworth and the Blu-ray looks and sounds fantastic. Next up, we had uh, Martin McDonough's The the Banshees of Inishirin. Now, on the first viewing of this film, um, I was 
really taken with it. I think its comedic value slowly dissipates throughout of it, and I definitely preferred it more when it was making me laugh. Um, I think this is by far in advance Colin Farrell's film. I, th- I think this is really is the performance. I think that he will be remembered for. I do think he will probably be picking up uh, an Academy Award for this one. But I do have some, well, a slight caveat to my appreciation of the Banshees of Inisherin. Now, I have spent a long time um, in Ireland. I had a girlfriend there. Um, for about four and a half years I, I did go over there a lot and I do feel like this film plays on a very particular stereotype about Irish people and it's something actually that the columnist Brendan O'Neill has also picked up on in that the depiction of Irish people uh, often I think veers into a kind of parody of them being slightly dumb and stupid and as much as I liked Colin Farrell's performance, and especially um, Barry Keegan, who has also been nominated for an Oscar, I do think the film plays onto that uh, stereotype of the Irish male being slightly dim-witted. And it's certainly something my current girlfriend, who she was um, a marketing executive for Kerry Gold, and it was something when she was there, she was consciously aware of, of trying to kind of steer advertising away from that. Unfortunately, um, it it was something which a lot of people seem to embrace and I think it's cliched to a degree and it's, it's also rather lazy however that all being said I did really enjoy the film I thought it was absolutely beautiful and having spent and I have actually spent quite a bit of time in that in in Iron in, in where it's been shot but again I did feel I, I, I was much more with the film when it was making me laugh and not so much laughing at the characters but I thought the dialogue was at times quite hilarious this the desperation of the Colin Farrell character who's just so painfully nice um desperately trying to win back his best friend Brendan Gleeson but I do I, I do have that caveat with it and I do wonder um if in the future this film after the initial hype surrounding it might come to look at it in a slightly less favorable favorable way i guess time will most definitely tell now next up was a case of if ever there's a film that i need to watch more than once this was it and it was park channel's decision to leave there's, there's not really much i can say about this film other than the fact that you have to really pay attention to this and I mean really do not take your eyes off the screen I actually whilst I was watching it I was it came on movie and I actually did on a couple of occasions just rewind the film a little bit to make sure I hadn't actually lost something and I think I was so paranoid that I was gonna lose track of the film that I think that might have affected my enjoyment of it I do fully intend to go back and watch Decisions Leave because I think there's a lot going on in this film it was also wonderfully cinematic for me. Um, one of the problems I do find when I watch a lot of films is I just do not see much personality or individuality to a lot of directors' work. And certainly you cannot make that uh, claim about Park uh, Chan-wook's films. Um, I actually think this might be uh, my favourite of his films today. I, I really... I really, really was taken with it, but I just need, I think, a second viewing to, um, I think I really will um, enjoy, and indeed, I think it's a film which will reward a second viewing a lot more than the first. 
So I am, apart from earth porn, I am a sucker for a good music biography documentary. And this year I got one that I particularly enjoyed and it was Brett Morgan's um, Moonage Daydream about David Bowie. Um, perhaps the most interesting thing I found about David Bowie is his distractingly awful teeth in the early years. I actually, I was absolutely um, agog at them actually. Um, they were quite terrifying to look at on the big screen. But overall, and this is certainly not what I think could best be described as a definitive film about Bowie. I think you, you that would need a 10 part series, but it's certainly a fascinating portrait of a really interesting artist. And, you know, I've, I've woken up today to the images of Sam Smith dressed, I, I don't know, like a fucking evil Teletubby or something that he seems to have gone to the Brit Awards as. And I just think he looks like a complete prat. Whereas Bowie manages to have such an otherworldliness about him. You kind of just go with it and just accept it as being completely normal, even when it looks completely crazy. And I think the style and the tone that Brett Morgan um, approaches the film with works perfectly for Bowie's character and psyche. And I think um, even if you don't like the music of David Bowie, I'm not a massive fan. I do own quite a few of his albums, but I don't, I don't like listen to him every day or anything like that. But it certainly made me appreciate the music all the more. And I've been kind of working my way through those albums again. So uh, that was Moonage Daydream. Next up was um, Bones and All, which was Luca Gradini's follow-up to Suspiria. And... I'm not going to say overly too much about this film because I think this could be Luca Guadagnino's best film, actually. I, I think I, I, I think we've all missed something with just how great a film Bones and All is. I remember I had this kind of feeling when Under the Skin came out and I, I, people just didn't seem to me anyway to be grasping that this kind of masterpiece had just been dropped on us. And I think Bones and All is. I just don't think we were ready for it. And I think it's a film we're going to have to go back to or people are going to have to go back to and watch again and just obsess over because I've seen it twice now and Call Me By Your Name is one of my favourite films of the past 10 years for sure but this I think there's something fascinating going on with this film two characters who are kind of one played by um, Taylor Russell and the other one by Timothy Chalamet who are two cannibals who begin a kind of like a road movie love affair as they travel across America and it really is a mixture of many many genres from something like The Lost Boys Antonio Zabriskie Point it reminds me of and it's also incredibly violent and there is something otherworldly about these cannibals they seem to have a uh, they have a, an interesting sense of smell where they can smell each other and smell their prey and it, it's such a bizarre work and sometimes when I was watching it, I, I, I'd occasionally just forget who these people were. And then there's a kind of a, a recurring character of a, a, played by Mark Rylance called Sully. And, and he's like something that's kind of fallen out of Night of the Hunter or something like that. It's just so strange. And it's beautiful to look at. It's exquisitely filmed. Um, but like I said, I just think we've missed something. I, 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 I'm sure, I, I don't know whether I'm just being hyperbolic or I'm completely wrong on this, but I have a feeling that we are going to go back and talk about Bones and all a lot more. To my knowledge, I think it played for a week in Manchester and that week I was actually away, so I just can't see how word of mouth would have helped this film at all. But certainly do check this out. It is available exclusively in the UK from HMV on Blu-ray. You can get an HD version of it from the iTunes store so if you have that playback capability I would definitely recommend checking out the HD version and it also has a really interesting Dolby Atmos soundtrack too 
Um, number three then was another documentary. And this was one of the most stressful documentaries I saw uh, all year. And it's called Fire of Love. It's currently available on Disney+. And it's a documentary about two volcanologists called Katia and Maurice Kraft who go around the world, did go around the world, sorry, filming and tracking volcanoes. It probably would have played a lot better on the biggest screen known to mankind. I, 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 as I said, I picked it up on Disney+. And this is a fascinating film about two people who've dedicated their lives to going near something, which I don't think anyone on planet Earth would consider to be normal behaviour. I did not know, and I'm not going to give spoiler alerts to, to what happens to them, I did not know where their story would end. It's a genuinely fascinating portrait of two people who lived an extraordinary life in so many regards. In at number two then was a film by Sean Baker and that was Red Rocket. And I will caveat this by saying so far I think this is my least favourite of Sean Baker's films. However, that being said, I did really like it. Um, in the case we have, um, in this case the actor Simon Rex plays a character called Mikey who despite his kind of goofy persona, I think he's a real villain in so many ways. It's a, basically an ex-porn star who's trying to manipulate a girl who works at a donut store into becoming a porn star. So basically he can exploit her for his own financial benefit. Sean Baker is someone who, um, I read an interview, used a term I find absolutely disgusting, which is um, sex work is work and I certainly think it's a recurring theme in his films but I think what he actually shows is that sex work isn't work in any acceptable stretch of the imagination it's a fairly um, depressing world in which mostly women um, end up being horrendously exploited in and I often find I don't know whether he's kind of knowingly kind of showing us how awful it is or he just feels it's part of the everyday world I don't know but Certainly, I did enjoy Red Rocket. It is nowhere near, I think, in, in the same league as Tangerine, which I consider to be, again, something one of my favourite films of the past few years. Um, and I didn't think it had kind of the likability value that the Florida Project did. But that being said, um, I did enjoy hanging out in this film. It, it's almost like Sean Baker makes films about the real kind of the... Essentially, from what I can see, they're about poverty in America and it's almost as if I wonder if someone like Ken Loach was actually an interesting filmmaker this might be the type of stuff he makes instead of doing the rather boring agi prop that he's been banging out for years and I certainly think Sean Baker is a a, a voice in cinema who I think um, has something interesting to say and I, I I hope to God he never kind of breaks out into the mainstream I don't think he is I don't think his films um, really have the financial clout it seems that he's not had an out and out hit before I don't think and I think if he kind of stays in this world I think he'll be a far more interesting filmmaker and I'm definitely more uh, than and he's definitely someone whose films I do look out for and again as I said it's it's not his best film by any stretch of the imagination, but I did really enjoy it. So number one then was, and I, I do appreciate if you live in perhaps America or wherever or other parts of the world, some of the films I'm talking about may have come out in your part of the wood in, in 2021. But um, in 2022, this was my favourite film. And again, I think this is one of the most... Um, 
of all the kind of like the, my favorite films I've had over the years this is probably one of the most least challenging I suppose and it was Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza um what I adored about this film was one how cinematic it was this is not a film that has been made to play on television it's been made to watch on the biggest screen possible and it looked completely gorgeous and i think that's been partly helped by the period setting but two it's a really i think just and I, I, this is might sound like a criticism or almost like a cop-out but it's one of those films you can just hang out with and you just don't have to really think that much about the story i suppose if something like to compare some like decision to leave where i was literally pausing the film trying to work out what was going on with this i just felt like i was hanging out with the two characters alana and gary and i really thought that um gary was going to annoy me at the beginning quite a precocious teenager um wise above his years but he truly did win me over and i know a lot of people have a bit of an issue with the age difference between gary and alana but i just thought oh, after a while you could kind of see why what would attract people to him i think he had such a kind of easygoing way about him um the the whole stuff with bradley cooper we probably didn't need that i know the film is kind of semi-autobiographical in many respects and that there was a few bits of it where i i did sort of think you know perhaps it was a little bit self-indulgent we're going off in tangents but to be brutally honest i didn't really care i was having such a good time in the film in this film world and what was really fascinating to me was the the reaction to it because this was a bit of a box office disaster for Paul Thomas Anderson on a budget of 40 million it only took 33 million at 40 million dollars this was quite an expensive film for what it is and I think it's actually quite a hard sell the name itself doesn't really give anything away it's not really I know it was it's it was a place I think it was a record store or something like that but I, I think the problem with this film is it's very hard to position it as who you want to sell it to I suggested to my girlfriend which go and watch it and she was like oh, you know she 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 couldn't really see what it was about and perhaps she was and she looked at the poster and she was a bit confused and she just sort of didn't seem to be very keen on it and I don't know and I might be completely going up the wrong path here but a film that costs 40 million that's quite hard to position in terms of what type of what experience are you going to be selling to an audience and I can see why um, a lot of people were perhaps a little bit standoffish with it and you only recouped 33 million and I think to date I think it was probably um, from what I understand I think it is Paul Thomas Anderson's most expensive film today um there will be blood only had a budget of 25 million and it made 75 so i do um I, I do i do perhaps wonder if um the marketing of this film didn't help its cause but all being said i just loved hanging out in this world i i, I really i rooted for the characters i really enjoyed it um everyone who's everyone who's in it from sean penn to tom waits and bradley cooper uh, and co just seems to be having such a good time and i think there was an infectious joy that came off this film and it's why that uh, it, it was my film of the year and i've gone back to it now already and i think it's gonna be one of those films where if i don't know what to watch and it's uh you know eight o'clock in the evening it's the type of thing i can chuck on and i know i'm gonna have an experience that i really enjoy so that was my top tens for 2022 um Many thanks for carrying on listening and the lovely kind of feedback I get from you occasionally is all very much appreciated and I will be in contact soon with another episode. Many thanks for listening and bye.